You're listening to YOY. I'm Andrea Salenzi here on WFMU. In my co-pilot chair, the wonderful Miss Hollywood. Hello. Holly, what are your qualifications to talk about love, sex, dating? There's some. Sure there are. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you're a PhD uh, sociology work at a little university. Yeah, there's that. There's that. There's how many men have you talked to about dating on this planet? Uh, professionally or like just for lols? No, no, like research for your thesis. Um, men? Yeah. Men? It's um, something like 38. 38 like hour long plus interviews about like <laughs> what's hours? adulthood? What does it mean to be a dude? Yeah. Like what does it mean to be a dude? Um, what do you feel about marriage? What do you feel about dating? Where do you date? How do you date? Why? Okay. All those questions. So that's your first qualification for what we're going to talk about tonight. Next one, how old are you? I am 29 and a half exactly today. Happy half birthday. <laughs> exactly. Um, happy, half birthdays matter. Only when you're coming up to 30, I think. Then you're never allowed to celebrate another half birthday I, I, just ever again. I'm not even, this is my last ever admitting what my age is ever. <laughs> until I'm eligible for... Social Security. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be 29 and a half in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> you could just hit, um, just hit pause at 29 and a half. Yep, that's it. This um, is it. I'm no longer, I'm, I'm we done aging. Because I like to think that we don't look like we're almost 30 and a little after 30. I like to think that we could, that we look younger. So we at least have bought some time. And then we can start thinking about having work done. <laughs> I would never have work done, just to clarify. Um... Okay, so what we want to talk about tonight is uh, turning 30 and, and all that's kind of caught up in our brains about that, that moment for us. Uh, and it's, I think it's a weighted thing. I've been gifted books uh, or like seen books from publicists that are like everything I wished I knew before I turned 30 or everything I've learned since I turned 30. It's like we use it like a cultural deadline. Um, are you where you want to be is a question you're asked when you turn 30 in a way that it does not happen at any other age. No. Are you where you want to be? Me personally, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, God, absolutely not. Um, on a number of levels. Like, dating is just, like, one of them, right? Like, I, I think academia is on fire and, like, nobody cares. So, you know, I'm like that person with the flags being like, help me, help me. How do I convert my PhD into something that isn't mine? Like, you know, it's going to kill me in the next 10 years. It's basically just probation being a professor <laughs> for like <laughs> two or three decades. Then maybe when you're 80, you could say something profound. But like, after, like, just it's not a lifestyle I want. So on that level, I'm not terribly happy. And then like in my dating life I'm not terribly happy so like on both fronts I'm not super I'm not killing it but like it's more it's more than that I think what's happened is our idea we had an ideal of 30 when we were growing up that is pretty much unattainable uh today so we still I think it's like we're kind of reckoning with this ideal version of 30 that is actually proved to be impossible as we approached it no actually it, it is possible for some people some people will attain this ideal and they will be the exception over that everybody holds over us as like, well, what, so-and-so did it. Why can't you? Like one out of 10 will do it. 
Okay, let's let's close let's um close our eyes and channel that ideal that ideal 30-year-old and describe her in incredible detail. And I feel like we know her well enough that we could almost alternate here. And we kind of started doing it over text message last night. But um l- let's think let's think about her. Um She has a group of friends. Oh my god, yeah, like friends. Like literally the show friends. And they've known each other since college. College freshman year. They went year. to college together. Like a great meet cute story for the whole group. Mm-hmm. Although maybe one's like a childhood best friend. That that helps. Um, or like adopted brother or something. So they're like this tight knit group and they live like near each other and they're hanging out all the time. All the time. Every day after work actually. They have nicknames. They have several nicknames. She has a lot of really pretty clothes and it all fits her and none of it she's had since high school or college. Yeah, weirdly enough, she has the exact same body she had in college too. So like when she builds her wardrobe, she never has to throw anything out. So everything's expertly tailored (laughs) and it never ever is too small or too big. Um, Her hair always looks like perfect and shiny and she remembers to cut it and she probably cuts it like... (laughs) Like I do one to two haircuts a year and she probably does like it regularly and it's like a style. No, she probably has bangs, Andrea. Yeah. And she she never cuts them herself ever in like a fit of anxiety at like 11 o'clock at night. She has a job where she's almost like in a management position. But not quite because that might be threatening to dates. Yeah. But she's like, she's in charge of her division, but she still has a meet a boss above her who she has a good friendship with. No, actually, she it might not actually be the super great friendship. It's more like a mentorship because she's being groomed for like. Yeah, he's like a dad figure <laughs> or she is like like a, a mentor. Right. Boss. And so whenever she talks about work, it's like I'm being groomed for a promotion. Things are going well at work. Things are always going well at work for her because she's always being And she groomed. knows what, you know, she picked a job that has like a clear path. Yep. Where she started here and now she's here and she hopes to get there. Yep. And she has a 401k. I guarantee it. Yeah. She has savings. She definitely has savings. Oh my God. She has, she has a 401k. She has savings. She knows what a Roth RIA is. Like, well, Yeah. <laughs> But the difference between the Roth IRA and the non-Roth IRA. She knows the difference between those two <laughs> things because I don't. <laughs> one expires when you turn 60. No, one lets you take it out. One gets taxed. At a, okay. Someone tried to explain a CD to me once and I was like, my eyes just glazed. I was like, what? <laughs> not, not like a music CD. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, actually, I think it was like a, who was it? Anyway, the point was, was I. She's like graceful, you know. Like sh- when she moves, she knows what she's doing, and there's a grace to it and a confidence. Like she stands out on the train. Um, she throws away shoes when they get too old. Um, she would never be she caught has, buying thrift store shoes. Yeah, she has new furniture, not from IKEA, or a mix of vintage and new. Presumably, she never cohabitated during her 20s until she met the one and then they they talked about it for a while and then they decided to how long did they date before they moved in together well he had to beg her to marry him oh unlike us terrible it was like it was like a pam and jim thing where there was like they were friends for the longest time oh yeah oh yeah it was a it was a pam and jim thing 
It was. It was like she was like off trying to figure out her stuff, and he's been pining for her since she was twenty. She didn't. Even, she wasn't. She was barely thinking about dating. She was, she was too busy because her she she had this track to 30. She's like, well, you know, my boss is grooming me for an executive position and things are going great. And she, she has like an outdoor space, like a garden or like a terrace. And it has like um, a pretty string of lights on it. And she has all these dinner parties for her friends all the time where they all come over and they drink wine and they complain about life. She actually has a tea set. She volunteers and she exercises regularly like she has like um like a spin class and but she also helps young people she's one of those people who gets up at six in the morning to work out she just can't help it she just wakes up and she needs to work out she needs to work out it's how she feels and she doesn't need coffee she she looks down on people who drink coffee she finally cut the cut the habit because it was giving her acne and she just didn't she she has to have perfect skin right and she drinks definitely drinks a hundred a hundred ounces of water every day Two vacations a year, one's with her family and the other's with her husband. Oh right. We forgot the we forgot like her, that she loves her parents a lot. They're definitely married. Okay, so oh, yeah, at thirty she's married. At thirty, she's already married. Okay, so the the Jim and Pam are about to. Yeah. She's either that or she's about depending on how old Jim is in this scenario. <laughs> she's either married or about to. Oh, and she's like and she's always got like never post but not like weird stuff on Facebook ever. She's the only thing she ever posts on Facebook are pictures of her family. Yeah. <laughs> like she's always going to like weddings and her grandmother's birthday. And like, it's just really pretty photos of her always wearing like appropriate clothes for the event. She's picked up a master's in something like while after work. Yeah. Just after work. And she might want to switch careers at some point. So it's important to have an MBA. It was important. She just did it after work and, you know, never complained about it being hard. <laughs> um, she loves children. And when she's around them, she always knows the right thing to say. And they're like drawn to her. Like she just scoops them up and like they're laughing and uh, she makes the funniest joke to them. And then they run off and play. And she's never stressed out. When she does the laundry, it's, like, graceful. She just, like, flips open the lid and drops everything in, pulls it out, pours in the soap, like, in a little twirl, and uh, and then just switches it right on time. She doesn't even set a timer. She just remembers to go do it. Oh, and she has a laundry room in her apartment. Yeah, she's, she's apartment. been well off since she was 23. Because she saved from that summer job. Right. She had, a, she had an internship in college that set herself up. And so as soon as she graduated from college, she didn't have to live like you and I lived. She had a nice apartment. Maybe she had one year where she felt like a little poor and then she learned how to like make really good ramen. <laughs> she, she had $5,000 in student debt and she never like, I have to, I, it's hard. It's really she hard. She just paid it off really efficiently on schedule. Yeah. <laughs> um, she never procrastinates. No. She's like almost like that cake song, but even more intense. Uh, for anyone just <laughs> tuning in, we're describing our what we think of a 30-year-old woman. Like, who is our ideal 30-year-old woman who we don't get to, who we feel like will never be? Um, I think she has, like, really pretty hands that are, like, always manicured nails. <laughs> never choose her nails. She's never bit a nail, ever. She's never. No, her mom taught her well. My mom actually, like, tells people that like she couldn't get oh, me she to- never fidgets she always <laughs> makes eye contact she has incredible posture 
<laughs> she was raised well, Andrew. She wasn't raised like you and I. <laughs> when her parents call, they like they're still married and they fight over who gets to talk to her first. <laughs> they are. They're always thrilled because she's always got something new and exciting to tell them. It's never like, what did you do this week, honey? Uh, I gained four pounds. <laughs> like, it's always like, oh, my God, Jim and I are having like the best week ever. We adopted a puppy again. Yeah, it'll be like our fourth. And the puppy has like so much personality. It's never just like tired and hot and lies on her floor <laughs> like a worthless little puppy. It catches frisbees at the dog park. <laughs> we taught him a new trick, Mom. It leads the blind. <laughs> yeah, it volunteers at the hospital with her. It's, it's actually a therapy dog that she uses to volunteer at the hospital with. Um, she's only been drunk twice in her life. And both times Jim was there to hold back her hair. Jim. Jim. Jim's like the ideal guy. I mean, she'll just tell you. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Andrea, when you're talking about how hard dating is. I never had to date. I, mean, I just met Jim freshman year of college, and it was so easy. It was so easy. Why didn't you just find a gym? I, there were guys who wanted you, Andrea. Why didn't you pick them? Like, why didn't you just go out with them? They wanted you. But she's also, like, kind of, like, she could take it or leave it. Like, the couple times, where the week that he was really bad about leaving his clothes on the floor, she was, like, she could, you know, she just tells him the tr- how she feels about things, and there's no... She, she doesn't, you know, she's direct with him. She's not terrified of losing him. Never. She's never been terrified of losing him because he's always wanted her. Yeah. <laughs> he's never, she's never had a moment in her life of wondering whether or not he's going to walk out on her if she says something wrong. Yeah. Or if he's going to stay out late with the boys and who is he talking to and like, why isn't he texting me back? And like, never moment that never happens for her. So well, the woman, this thirty-year-old woman that Holly and I are describing, um, is is our. Where did we get her from? Like, how did we learn who she is? Is it television and movies? Is it um, examples that our parents told us? Like, how have we internalized this ideal woman that we feel like we're supposed to be but aren't? I mean, yeah, I mean, some of it's from TV. I mean, like, we watched the same shows growing up. For the first time in history, I really think you have this model of young 20-something single woman on the cusp of 30, right? So there were all these shows that we grew up with, like Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Felicity. Felicity. <laughs> um, what was the... Yes, yeah, especially after they graduate yeah. college, those special episodes when they leave college. Yeah. Those are really informative. You're like, oh, God. Like, girls. No, girls is not one we grew up. Girls is terrible. But, like, think about television today. Today we have girls in Broad City, like, deeply flawed leading characters that are honest about how they weren't able to achieve this. And I feel like it's speaking to this anxiety that we're all feeling of, I missed the mark, and what do I do about it? Um, you know, Hannah can't figure out what kind of job. She fails at every job she takes on. Um, her only passion is writing, and she kind of flops out of the a writing, couple writing opportunities. I don't want to give too much away. She, yeah, like somehow, you know, writing for her is like breathing, except you never actually see her writing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and I feel that way. Even I feel that way. Like yeah. I feel like I, and I was that girl that everybody thought would be like Felicity, right? Like that, you know, small town, poor kid who who's valedictorian, goes to college on a scholarship, works really hard, gets into heart, and now I'm like, like, I keep saying, like, I've been at this failure thing for about two years. 
I would not describe you as a failure. No one would except me. I right. might smack you if you did, but like, um, but I feel it. Like when I talk to women, I feel it. Like I feel like it's something we we don't talk about often. And but when you come up to thirty and you haven't done what the you know the Pam in our story has, you're 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 there's a deficit identity, right? And so there's in sociology we would call this a deficit identity. Ooh, I love this term. Please so, define. So a deficit identity is is sort of this idea that you are lacking what is culturally thought to be not necessarily that even the ideal, but just the norm, right? Like the norm for someone who's 30. Um, and so one of the, one of the problems for women like you and I, like women who go to college do marry later statistically, like far later than, than women who don't go to college. But there is no breakdown for women who go to the difference between graduating. And I, I don't want to say this is a classist kind of thing, but the difference between going to like a community college or Harvard or Yale, like there's no breakdown of that data. But anecdotally, like you can kind of imagine that the harder and more schooling you go to, the more time there's going to be. So like we have no idea when the median marriage age is for like someone with an advanced degree. Yeah. Statistically. There's just not enough data. So So you facing down your PhD from Harvard that's on the way, like you don't know how what that's gonna mean for you in terms of your ability. No, but I mean I'm judged against a deficit identity that's more culturally construed for people who didn't go off and get advanced degrees. Like the uh, the median marriage age for women is twenty seven. Like we've already passed that. Yeah, but how many of those marriages are gonna end? I mean with our with our with our um, learning, um, we're probably making different kinds of decisions. Yeah, but that's the thing about the deficit identity, right? Like the, I- the identity is formed at a societal level. It's not something that like, oh, it's fine for everybody, but like you're, you're an exception, so you don't need to be a woman. Huh. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder if this is related to the deficit identity. So I think of there being, um, you know, an alternate universe Andrea, an alternate universe Andrea didn't leave the Midwest. Like she graduated from her suburban Midwestern high school and she didn't go to college out East. Um, She went to probably like the University of Wisconsin-Madison and met a nice guy and she became a school teacher and it was easy to get a teaching job and she finds it really rewarding. And she probably met her gym and has like a house with a yard or something by 30. So alternate universe Andrea I don't think that she's happier than me. That's that's the thing that gives me comfort is I think I've had like a really interesting, enriching life by discovering the weirdos at WFMU and pursuing like a career in journalism and, you know, doing what I do has been a really like good time. I don't think I'd be happier with like the most like straight down the road path I could have taken. So alternate universe Andrea, so sociologically, we would call you the, that would be the counterfactual Andrea. Like there were all these decisions you could have made but didn't, right? So there's this. I feel like the easier path would have been that Andrea. Like that, I had to like re- go away, go veer away from my family to take this path. You had, you had, yeah, to, to make the decisions that you made personally, you basically every, every time you were presented with the choice to do what was this, what most people did, you kind of had to make a decision to do something else. 
Yeah. So like the decision for you. Like when I got really obsessed with turtles in high school, that was (laughs) totally weird. Yeah. When I joined the mime club, that was really weird. I did a lot of things just to be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I totally, like, I get that. Like, there's this bent in women like us. I, I mean, we went to Wesleyan, for God's sake. Like, but there's a there's a bent for very smart women just to be countercultural, just for the sake of being countercultural, just even to challenge what everyone else is doing. And I, I know I felt that at an early age. And I felt that about my gender at an early age, right? Like, mm-hmm. I was a tomboy. Yeah. Right? In the 80s, that was like what we called girls that rejected feminine things it was like, oh, don't mind her. She's a tomboy. Right. And it's not even like as someone who's studying gender and sexuality right now, it's not like it was a conscious decision to reject femininity. It was just I rejected the idea that I didn't want to do what other people were doing. That was it. It was not a gender decision to be a tomboy. It was not like I don't want to be a girl. I definitely identify as a woman. I'm definitely heterosexual. But that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be like all my girly friends. I didn't want to have the exact same dollhouse or the exact same blouse. I wanted to find uniquely me. Yeah, you wanted to be who you, you wanted to make decisions that were literally agentic. You know, they were decisions you consciously had to think about versus what was just being assumed people like you did. Right. So uh, counterfactual Holly would have gone to Penn State. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of Wisconsin, Madison. we have these templates in our minds of people we grew up with who did the thing that we didn't do. And I will never leave Facebook, probably, because I like seeing their path because <laughs> it feels like an, it feels like alternate universe. Andrea, you can live the life. I mean, yeah, I could have married a principal who you, you thought alternate Andrea was, you know, thinking, hi, <laughs> what about superintendent? <laughs> He's on. He could be a superintendent eventually. Yeah, be on the school board, Andrea. I love looking at um, the the girl who I've identified as alternate Andrea's life. I really do. Like, I look at her, their house, and it wouldn't put it for sale. I like. I looked at everything. I can't. I can't help it. Because I feel like there's a part of me that's like, oh, my family would have been happier for me. Definitely. Because I would have made more sense to them. I. I. My mom has no idea how to deal with me at all whenever we talk she has no idea it's just this constant i don't know where i went wrong i don't know i don't know what's going to make you happy i don't know the world you live in i don't know the people you meet i don't know who talks to you i don't know these boys that you're interested in like i am never going to understand this world you've chosen for yourself and i have this conversation with my mom endlessly it's really alienating it's 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 not the easy choice. And everybody recognizes that. And a lot of people respect it. And they respect that, like, okay, you went off and did the hard thing. like, And you're suffering for it. But what did you expect? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you, you could have done the easy thing. You could have married a hometown boy. You could have stayed in the Poconos. You could have, you know, made it go here. And you'd be married by now. So I don't understand why you're lonely. Or I don't understand why you're upset that you're lonely. So when you feel that, like, anxiety that you're not meeting your um, culturally imposed deadline by 30, can't we take comfort in thinking about how um, how this other alternate universe Holly, like, had – maybe she has – well, who would you rather be, alternate universe Holly or you? Obviously you. But see, the thing is I'm not happy now. I'm not a happy person. Like, I just, I'm not a particularly happy person. Like, I know you, I hear what you're saying, and you're like, I made choices that made me happy, and that's awesome. But I'm not really a happy person in the decisions that I've made, and I know that I made them consciously. 
but they didn't make me happy. So I'm looking at the counterfactual being like, maybe that would have made me happy. I have no idea what would make me happy since I'm not particularly happy now. So there's this, there's, I don't know, I couldn't tell you. And, and the other thing is, and we're talking about this 30-something perfect counterfactual woman that you and I, were, where I came from, she didn't exist. Like, that's sort of like, I, and I think this might be true for you too. It was something that was imposed upon us because you and I wanted to be upwardly mobile in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't come from a very particularly wealthy background like a lot of our peers in college did. Like, we didn't have a model for what successful womanhood was. Right. And we had to make it on our own because, like, most of the women we knew would be housewives and most of the women are teachers. And the teachers was like, teacher was like the upwardly mobile choice where we came from, like school teacher. Mm-hmm. It was housewife and school teacher. Yeah. So like, or s- secretary? Maybe. And, and so for us to be like, I want to do something more, we had to figure that out on our own. So what it was easy for us to look at models like Felicity and be like, oh, okay, that's what you do. You be a gorgeous 23-year-old who just gets the dream job right out of college. Or Rory Gilmore. Remember Rory Gilmore from Gilmore Girls? Oh, yeah. And she just gets the campaign job immediately out of college. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the dream campaign job on the bus with the president. Like, um. But, you know, and that's the path is you like you put, you have to put yourself out there and take these risks and you'll be rewarded. And then like, yes, it's naive, but like you're definitionally a teenager. Like you're going to be naive when you make these choices. Yeah. But we did have like lots of television shows that were like the single working professional lady who's having a hard time on her own. Um, but there is always a happy ending. So, like, I don't know, Allie McBeal. Doesn't she end up with someone? <laughs> oh, God, Allie McBeal. Allie McBeal is a terrible model. Murphy Brown? No. See, a lot of these women were divorcees. <laughs> yeah. Like, they already, they were in their 30s, and they already went through and divorced, right? That was the other thing I didn't, I, I didn't even know what it, like, I was like, where did these women come from? I don't know what their backstory is. I was really, admittedly, at, at seven years old when my mom made me watch Mor- Murphy Brown with her, I was very confused by where Murphy Brown came from. <laughs> like, <laughs> where did, like, she, I know she's divorced and I know that's her ex-husband that she's still interacting with all the time, right? Yeah. But I don't really understand what their dynamic, because I didn't understand what that was, because, like, I came from a divorced family, too, but my dad wasn't in the picture. So I was like, I know my mom is, like, divorced. I don't know what Murphy Brown is, though. Did she? I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm on a tangent. Yeah, like your mom didn't line up with Murphy Brown yeah. somehow. I didn't understand. Like, uh, <laughs> there was so much I didn't understand at seven years old about Murphy Brown. It still confuses <laughs> me. I, like, recently had to pull some tape from um, an old political, like, uh, speech from that time. Dan and Quayle? It was, no, I might have already or something. It was, like, he was railing against Murphy Brown for t- collecting, for getting food stamps. I missed out this whole cultural moment of um, what she meant to ha- make her the star of a TV show. I want to go back and watch Murphy Brown. I have to now. I know. Um, okay, so everyone, if you want to call and tell us about what you, where you think someone's supposed to be by the time they're 30, um, let us know. We'll accept your deadlines at 201-209-9368. We have Nick the Bard call screening. Nick the Bard, who you will hear next week on 7 Second Delay. <laughs> uh, Andy wants to hear... Uh, more about how he call screens and what and what's involved in that. Um, so, well, I'm excited for that show. It's like required scheduled listening for me. Um, 201-209-9368. Talk to Nick and uh, talk to us about what it means to turn 30. I think we're okay. <laughs> I know I'm not going to make you feel better about this because you haven't. 
past the threshold yet. But my, I, so when my birthday arrived, um, I like do not handle birthdays well. I, it becomes like a moment where I think about all these things and, uh, my friends know I have major meltdowns on most birthdays, including the one year where I set my hair on fire. Yeah. Our, our Pam wouldn't do no. that. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'd put product in my hair and then I was like getting in the bathtub at the end of the night after throwing my party where not enough people came. And uh, I put the candles around the bathtub and it caught on fire and I had to dunk my hair in the tub and there was burnt hair in the tub. It was just a nightmare. And then uh, I just I just sat in bed like with soaking wet, just like trying to recover from the trauma of like almost burning myself down. Um, I haven't had a birthday that I haven't worst. cried. Yeah. Since I was 18 years old. And also <laughs> every year I find a new gray hair on my birthday. It always shows up right in my bangs. It's horrible. So anyway, so this birthday I was like, here's the way I'm going to cope with it. I'll just try to record the whole thing. I can't believe you did this. So I recorded 24 hours of tape. I recorded my entire birthday. And then I've been trying to figure out what to do with it. So I have uh, I was commissioned to do a piece for um, these exciting new Sarah Lawrence audio fiction uh, podcast and awards called The Sarahs. Um, the website will be going up eventually. But you guys get a sneak peek here on YOY. Um, this is a five-minute story I put together um, and collected from recordings on my birthday. On the night Andrea turned 30, she was alone in her room. So I just looked up and it is 12.08. A text message made her cry. Literally, I blinked and I was 30. <laughs> and then I blinked and now I'm 68. She had to come to terms with everything she'd done before that day and everything she'd hoped to do after it. She remembered the years she'd wasted driving a boyfriend to work, the friends who weren't friends anymore, the language she'd forgotten how to speak. You can't believe how fast the years will go. She stared at the ceiling and wondered what she wanted from the rest of it. More saying the right things, for her dog to live forever, a pair of really cool sunglasses, Challenge, company, novelty. Last year was the fastest year of my life. It's probably just because I'm getting older. Like time is speeding up or something. She fell asleep. She took a shower. I'm battling a health situation. I'm, I'm not in denial of, of it because it is. It's, a, it's the pit. She headed to work. Since I can't do anything about it and there is no cure, I'm going to live every, every second of my life to the fullest and have a good time and do what's important to me. She played cell phone games on the train while listening to a podcast. <laughs> she went through a turnstile. The blind homeless man at her subway station moaned. She walked to work. I'm actually happier, Andrea, now than I've ever been in my entire life. The only problem is your body starts to sort of quit on you. She arrived at her desk. At noon, she had a health screening. Are you fasting today? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pick you. They drew her old blood. 
Happy birthday again. <laughs> yeah, I'm 30 today. Oh. The nurse took her blood pressure. I'm gonna do your blood pressure. And asked if she had any questions. Any question from here? Andrea took a moment and asked, how come I'm full of energy sometimes and totally myself, and other times I can be like really tired? And sometimes I've noticed that things can hurt. Like in different places, things hurt sometimes. The nurse smiled slowly, pulled out the paperwork and cruelly underlined her birthday. After work, Andre went out with a friend, ordered a salad. It's so funny, I had no idea that you were like even close to 30. Like when I think of someone who's 30, I think of someone who's like kind of got their life together, like she's living with her boyfriend. I don't know, someone who like exercises regularly. Like I think of someone who's like at Ann Taylor. Also you still kind of like slump over like you're self-conscious a lot. But also maybe you should have like plans on the weekend. Because whenever I call you on a Saturday night, you say you're cruising the web. So? Either that or you're like watching Mad Men. On Don Draper's birthday, his wife threw him a party, sung him a sexy song, and said happy birthday, baby. On Andrea's birthday, her boyfriend did not sing. Can you just say, like, just say, like, happy birthday, you're the best girlfriend ever? <laughs> um, best girlfriend ever for me or for the world? <laughs> she realized her birthday wasn't going to force another version of adulthood on her. She could still shop in the junior's department. She didn't have to redeem that yoga group on. It was just a chance to pay attention. Happy yeah. birthday again. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday, okay? I love you. Happy birthday, Andrea. You're the best girlfriend ever. Happy, happy, happy birthday. <laughs> and she was glad she stopped to take note. Because everything after that day went by faster. Hi, Andrea. Bye. All right, you're listening to YOY on WFMU. That was a sneak peek at a piece of audio fiction, fiction being the key word there that I'm working on. It's not really fiction. That's exactly what happened. It's blurring the lines. I like blurring the lines. It was more agentic, like, reality. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Wait, I've never used the word agentic before. Like, you made decisions on that day to, like, document your day. I don't know how to explain this. It's like... Well, not everything... But, like, the truth is that not everything was recorded on that day, and some of it was scripted, and... um, like, did you really schedule a health screening? I actually birthday? did. <laughs> Come on, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to trick her into letting me record it, which was nice of her. <laughs> it was like it was like on the twenty sixth. Uh, this like we actually like had to get health screenings in order to save six hundred dollars on our health insurance through my work, which mm-hmm. is actually like not to be fined six hundred dollars. <laughs> think about it but um yeah they brought all the nurses to our office oh okay so okay. it's like even easier yeah I was just like you you like yeah that seems like a good day let's do it 30th birthday let's totally have this health screen it's gonna totally make my day oh the, the part i left out of that was that my bmi was 
um, out of normal by 0.1. So you cried about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I was in, she actually had to circle overweight because it was, it was supposed to be 20. I was, got like a 25 and it was supposed to be a 24.9. I don't know. Okay. So I was everybody, like, this is going to be a scene. And then Andrea's, it was like way too heavy. Andrea is an elf. She's really small. So like the BMI doesn't even make sense for someone like her. But like, nevertheless, still very stressful. But it, is, got, it is really stressful. That moment when you find out what your weight is, is just absolutely but I like yeah I later went to a real doctor and she was like I don't know how that could have been calculated so wrong and I don't know whatever they disagreed there the BMI is crack yeah <laughs> yeah keep telling me things it I is hear. I'm sorry it is <laughs> what does 30 look like today and what was your 30th birthday like um on the WFMU playlist page um our older sister says marriage is a place where a lot of people go to hide Ange and Holly shouldn't worry about doing what the masses do. Well, if I worried about what doing with the mat, <laughs> God, uh, I'm so. What do you? How do you respond? What do you? Th- what do you think of that advice about marriage? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, the thing is about turning thirty and having friends who are on the far side of thirty, like you. <laughs> it, it, you watch marriages implode from the inside, and you have that vantage point that I you don't have at twenty five is watching a marriage fall apart. Mm. You never see it when you're 25, like, because all your friends are excited about getting married. You don't see the other side of it. And, you know, as a child of divorce, I saw it a lot, but I didn't, but it it didn't compare to what it, it, okay, so how do I put this? When your father and your mother are both alcoholics, a divorce looks very different than when you're like both 29 and things are just not working. So, you know, my idea of a marriage falling apart was violent. Yeah. And now you kind of watch them fade out in a whimper. So that's for me, that was really enlightening and really important for, because, you know, at in college, I had this idea about marriage. It's like as long as you don't drink, it'll be fine. Um, but, you know, I realized watching the marriages implode. Yeah, there is an element of that is that it's a safe haven that a lot of couples go into because you know that no matter what else goes on in your life, no matter how much of a crap show it all is, you have that partner and there's some security there and it's safe and it's, but a lot of that safety is, you know, a mask. It's obscuring a lot of the, you know, the anxiety around you. It's not a haven. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, haven't you watched a marriage deteriorate like this yet? Not yet. But I, I, but like, yeah, I feel like all the models of adulthood I had as a kid don't really apply. And now every like example of adulthood I see around me now, I can't look away from because I want to learn so much from it. Well, you, but, on the last episode, we talked about this. This was like, oh, buying a couch. And people were uh, like, oh, that's so adult. Or like you moving in with your boyfriend. People were like, oh, that's so adult. It's like our generation has this weird fixation on a, what is and what isn't adulthood i mean it's like a, it's like a meme at this point like yeah adulthood bonus like i ate a healthy sandwich today or something like that where people on social media are constantly like patting each other on the back like i am an adult <laughs> like yeah and i feel like marriage is like a checkbox in that that you know just like the dropping the word my husband or like can be a way of saying i've arrived in adulthood and i've made made different decisions it's it's really fast. I I think it's so fascinating. The thing that I think is the most interesting thing about upper class white people, 
<laughs> as a thing. Yeah. You know, and I consider like coming from my vantage point, almost anybody is upper class to me. Okay. So everybody, you know, who's not living in a trailer was upper class to me growing up. So, you know, watching white people grow up and, and there's this like checkbox list. It's like my checkboxes for adulthood were like, don't become an alcoholic, pay your taxes, don't get a DUI. Like I had a really low threshold for like what being a good adulthood wa- like was growing up. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm around and people in college, people were like, oh, yeah, you got to like, you know, get a, a financial management plan. <laughs> and I was like. You mean you don't just keep all your money in a safe <laughs> like my mom does? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it was like, this is real eye-opening. So I don't have the internalized checklist that a lot of people have. Huh. But do you think that that can be fluid where we're constantly writing or redefining to ourselves? Yeah. What that oh, is? but yeah, we totally are. Because it's like, first of all, like everybody you and I know lives in Brooklyn <laughs> where like rent is a million dollars a month. So, you know, what? Like, uh, People where I live right now in the Poconos can buy a house for what people are paying for rent in one year in Brooklyn, right? In Williamsburg. You could buy an entire house. Yeah. So, like, it's a totally different you, – you're going to become acclimated to wherever you are. And the standards for living in the city are, like, insanely high. And nevertheless, everyone we know lives in the city. We, we don't really know people who live in rural areas. I mean, I do, but, like – we yeah. we is in the royal sense <laughs> like you and I like yeah I, but yeah I used to live in Kansas City Missouri but that wasn't a rural area I lived in an urban center where people had the same like people were watching the same uh, HGTV shows and thinking about their apartments in those terms yeah you still you still have these expectations for what you want that garden balcony that Pam and Jim have you know where she's growing cucumbers and tomatoes on her balcony and yeah good luck with that in Brooklyn. Like, you're not going to have a, a balcony, you know? Even though you want one, doesn't mean you're going to be able to afford it. It's like an extra $1,000 on your rent a month, right? So, like, you make trade-offs. And so your expectations are expensive, and you'll never live up to them. Huh. Right? Well, I have this um, – so I'm getting ready to move in with my boyfriend, and uh, and I have a lot of anxiety about it, like I do basically any other move I'll ever make in my life. And one of the flashbacks I keep having is to when I was first year out of college living in New York, probably living with my grandma or um, with my friends from college. You know, just like, yeah, I like I didn't own a single nice thing. Not that I really do now, but I just had nothing like I had a suitcase or something. And I was visiting. I was at my boyfriend's older sister's friend's apartment just was right by Barclay Center, like in a really nice area of Brooklyn. And we were sitting on the couch and they had just given me a beer. And I was like, yay, a beer. And, um, <laughs> and I was holding it and sitting on the couch. And he came over to me, the boyfriend of the older sister, my boyfriend's older sister's friend. And he was like, could you not spill that beer? And I was like, I'm not going to. And he was like, you just like look like you might. And, you know, could you just not hold it like that? Like, could you put it on the on the on the like coffee table instead and I was like I wasn't gonna spill it and he's like I know but I saw you almost spill it and you'll understand someday when you have a nice couch 
Um, I never, ever want to have a nice couch. Yeah. And that was that was like kind of the promise I made myself. Like, I don't want to have an expensive apartment and a nice couch. I don't want to have things I'm worried about, you know, a 23 year old ruining. Um, And just like his like, I've reached adulthood and you'll understand someday little 23 year old was so was like one of the rudest moments probably of my life. But then I might be moving in with my boyfriend in that area now and we might buy a couch that I wouldn't want anyone to spill on. You gotta, I. So then will I become him and how do I not become him? Well, there's, there's this, there's a mindfulness to this, right? Like it's just a couch, right? Yeah. You, you, it, well, but, but I'm thinking it's just, a you know, $500 or $1,000 or whatever our couch ends up costing. If you spend more than $1,000 on your couch, you're just stupid. Right. Andrea. I know. <laughs> but it's more like, it's more like if, even if you, let's say, hypothetically, you did spill that beer on the couch. Was it worth making you feel like crap about it? Because that's what he did. Well, I was like, he knew I would, we'd never meet again. And we never met again. So why would he... Like, it, just human compassion and empathy. I don't know. I know men have a hard time with it. But that moment was like, for me in my mind, I've, I, I've had people like, okay, unless it's in a laptop and someone's like waving a beer around your laptop. It's like, it, it, you can fix it. You can fix anything. But uh, to more to the point, honestly, more to the point. Did you ever have a friend who like found an older boyfriend and like switched overnight Ooh. from like... 25 like drunk like four nights a week like kind of like can't get her crap together and then having a boyfriend then suddenly starts talking down to you yeah a boyfriend (laughs) or like an older woman friend or like uh or like a new job where they had new role models but i've seen friends change really fast where um yeah i've seen friends change like pretty rapidly so like that like you said like how do you stop that from happening? But I, you know, I've watched, I had a friend who like literally was eating nothing but ramen, not because she couldn't afford to eat other things, but because she just couldn't be effed with grocery shopping, right? Yeah. That kind of approach to life. She found an older boyfriend and moved in with him like within several months of meeting him and was having like house parties with like expensive china and like buying really expensive furniture because he was financing all of it. So she like took on this identity of being an adult. It was a performance. And that's what I try to tell people all the time that adulthood is a social construction. Right. And what millennials are doing with their adulthood is that they're filling in the blanks in a way that has never been possible because they don't have adults in their lives the way that we used to grow up with our extended families. Yeah. And now you make up it as you go. You don't have a grandparent over your shoulder being like, you're too big for your britches. <laughs> like, oh, I do. <laughs> okay, you do. But you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if your grandparents came to your house and you said, please don't spill that beer on my couch, they'd be like, get over it. Like, just, do- oh, my God. Seriously? Like, yeah. Old people yeah, do not the put up with I this. felt like he was performing adulthood to me at that moment. Exactly. And as he tried to perform, and as he gave me that speech and, like, I saw, like, there was also, like, he knew he was being bad and he was almost being defensive in how adult he was thinking he was. How old was he, you think? Yeah, at that moment, he was like a million years old because I was 23 and anyone older than me was like a million years old, but he was probably 31. Exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> like I just like it's there's a huge amount of insecurity in performance. It's performance. Right. There's a lot of performativity to adulthood and what people think adulthood is and how their apartments are a reflection on them as people. And there's a moral aspect and a moral dimensionality to adulthood that they're performing for you. Like, I'm a good adult because I have a couch that's expensive and I get to yell at 23 year olds because I've made it. Well, I have this thing where moving in with my boyfriend, I don't want to get rid of my bed. Like, I like having my own bed. But uh, so I have this fantasy of like, what if we could just push our beds together in the living room and we have just two <laughs> beds next to each other in the living room and it just looks like no one's apartment ever why don't you just fill the whole thing with like yeah why don't you just have balls? one room full of beds and then like i can always get a good night's sleep because we wouldn't be tossing and turning and waking each other up and you can like just like a big bedroom what if you got loft beds so you guys had like adult bunk beds? Or what if we just had totally separate rooms? Or what if we just had different apartments? Sometimes he sleeps <laughs> in my room and sometimes I sleep in his room. But then I kept on thinking that's not what apartments normally look like. So I'm already feeling this as I start to make this move with him. I'm starting to feel this pressure of like what have other couples apartments look like and how do I make mine look like that? And then as I look at apartments online and I'm flipping through the photos, I'm I'm taking screenshots of how other women have set up their kitchens yeah like oh she put a plant like over the cabinet maybe i should put a plant over the cabinet i'm feeling a lot of adulthood pressure at a time where i was it's not necessarily where i wanted to be putting my intellectual energy i think it's really common i think it's really really common for women our age to look at to be sort of laterally examining their horizons and being like all right what are other women like me doing i think that my real thing that i do on birthdays is i think to myself Am I still me? And I think it's like a big part of birthdays is making sure you haven't lost track of who you actually are in that process. And maybe that's a piece of comfort for our 30s is that, you know, maybe we're not what we thought 30 would be, but we are 100% ourselves. Yeah. And that's the biggest fear I have about a birthday is what if I have it reach a birthday and I've veered away in some creepy way? I mean... The thing about people in general, and I've learned this, is that they're really, really good at, at retrospectively rationalizing all their decisions. Like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I went to law school because it was, it was the right decision at the time. Like, da-da-da-da-da, now I'm a corporate lawyer, and that, that I'm boring. And that, that. But it was responsible. You know what I mean? Like, it, you can't, I don't know. See, I, th- I feel like birthdays are sort of an invitation for that kind of retrospective rationality. Like, my year went okay. Everybody's always okay. Like, did you ever read The Pursuit of Happiness Mm-mm. by Daniel Goleman? Um, was it Daniel Goleman? <sighs> the psychiatrist, psychology professor at Harvard who was, like, always popping up in my nightmares because I saw him <laughs> on campus all the time. He was, like, just popping up everywhere. Like, my Where's Waldo of Harvard was this professor who wrote Pursuit of Happiness. Um, anyway, so... Chris Gardner. No. Quincy Troop. No. Oh, it turns out this was a movie and then <laughs> that's like With the Will book. Smith in it? Yeah, that one. No, <laughs> the book. There's a book. Um, I know. Or Stumbling Towards Happiness. I'm sorry. Okay, good. So, um, Pursuit of Happiness was the Will Smith movie. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Do we recommend it? I haven't no, watched no, it, it. No, but like the, the core thesis of his research, right, is that no matter what happens to you, let's say you lose your leg and you're an amputee. Mm-hmm. You're going to flatline. Your, your happiness like threshold will go back to normal 
you will be as happy as you were before you lost your leg. There's like a happiness baseline that everybody has and you will always go back to it no matter what happens. Huh. That's the theory. I mean, like he basically, so you could win the lottery and the next year you'd probably come back down to where you were before you lost the lottery. You might be richer, but your happiness level overall just stays pretty much the same no matter what happens to you. And and that's the theory of stumbling towards happiness is that like you people are really bad at predicting what will bring them happiness. They're just universally very bad at it. Huh. So I'm going to flip this on you, Holly. You've been saying like that you're unhappy right now uh, and that you've just never been a generally happy person. So let, let's say you woke up and you were that married woman with the job you love. Like, don't you think your flat line would be continuing there? See, so the thing, the difference between me and like the general population is that I, I actually have a disorder called dysthymia. So what dysthymia is, it's sort of a chronic depression. I was diagnosed with it when I was four years old. I'm always going to be low-level depressive. That's just chronic. But I know how to manage it, and I know how to treat it. And usually the things that make me really happy, I'm such an extrovert. I am such an extrovert that it hurts for me to be alone physically. Like, I feel physical chronic pain when I'm, like, by myself for extended periods of time. Thank you, Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, Twitter knows this. Um, So I need, like... I need social stimulation more than other people, and it makes me really happy to be around other people. And that's part of the reason why I'm so unhappy in graduate school is because graduate school is a lot of isolated, boring research by yourself. Mm. So I I don't know. I can't tell you. Like, yeah, would I be unhappy if I was married and in, like, a, a more socially stimulating job? I don't know. I mean, the socially stimulating job for me, I think, would be more important than a relationship. But... Like, that's, you know, I can't, I can't, right. Like, people are bad at So, but, like, I don't think we can attribute unhappiness to not meeting a deadline in that case. Like, an, an, a culturally imposed deadline. No. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, like, I keep saying, I mean, the whole point of this argument that I'm making right now is that adulthood is socially constructed. 30, 30 as a threshold is socially constructed. Right. So we're, we're, we're talking about things that have no material basis in reality whatsoever. They entirely only exist in the ether. How could they possibly make you happy or unhappy? They're just ideas. It's like saying that maybe reading tantric sex manuals will make me happy or not. Maybe. But it's like it's just an idea like that's out yeah. there. Like I could or I couldn't. But like there are material things and there are actual experiences that do make you happy. Right. Like. Being around people who love you and, and having conversations that are, are meaningful. Visiting a dog park or a dog beach. <laughs> Those things are not social constructions. Those things are real. You can touch them. Like Yeah. They like your face. Yeah. Dogs are great. Um, but that's like that's the difference, you know? Thirty is a it's an artificial construction and it's it's used to make you feel bad. A lot of the time. I mean, I try to tell women all the time, 30 is a construct that is used by advertisers to make you feel bad. It's very universal. Everybody turns 30. So yeah. it's really easy. And I mean, I guess everyone who doesn't fall um, to the 27 club, which... <laughs> oh, no. Is the 27 club a term for people who just keep saying they're 27? The no, 27 club is the club where people kill themselves at 27. Oh. You know, like Jan- Janis Joplin. Oh. Like Jimi Hendrix, um, yay! We made it past twenty-seven. <laughs> that was that was the biggest birthday of my life. Actually, was turning twenty-eight and knowing that I made it past that year. 
Yeah. Because I had grown up being like, everybody who ever thinks like me seems to kill themselves at 27. So this isn't going well. Right. Um, so, but, you know, there's 30, 30 is just, it's not something to worry about, I think. I mean, I think about it a lot only because other people keep asking me. Yeah. But, like, I love that comment about, like, marriage is a refuge. I'm like, all of adulthood is a refuge. All of adulthood as a construction, as a social construction, is a way for some people to try to make themselves feel like they're making the right choices. Most of us are crazy insecure. Most of us have no idea what we're doing. There's no traditional path anymore whatsoever. I mean, this is the entire theory of risk society, right? Like Ulrich Beck, if you read him, he's a sociologist. He's just basically saying there's no good way to live your life that's set in stone anymore. There's no assured path for anybody. Um, and that risk is universal. That's why we now live in a risk society. Yeah. But So adulthood is just everybody just scrambling to be like I'm I'm doing okay I'm doing okay tell me I'm doing adulthood right I'm doing adulthood right that's my whole Instagram feed right that is my entire Instagram that's, feed. that's my whole life and I understand it so much better now yeah you can empathize with it but it's totally yeah anyway. the one exception on my Instagram feed is our next DJ here in WFMU <laughs> he's not performing adulthood he's performing his own magic fun channel you do you <laughs> <laughs> um, filling in for Bosch and Infinite Distortion tonight is Reed Dunley. So uh, be sure to stay tuned for that. Holly, you've been such a wonderful guest. Um, it's been it's always so good to talk to you. I'm sorry I'm not my usually more chipper mood today. That's allowed. <laughs> I cried so it's much. It's your half the birthday. Dolphs of, the Dolphs of Disneyland. <laughs> um, <laughs> blog recommendation, <laughs> the Dolphs of Disneyland, everyone. It made me cry last night. Okay. Please stay tuned for Reed. Um, you'll see to WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, and online at WFMU.org.